0: Guys, welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour, episode eight. Yeah, episode eight. We're Ashley and Mallory, and we're about to need to speak to the manager of Audacity <laughs> yes, because
1: I really need to speak to the manager. Oh, oh my, god. my god! I think I, we're
0: literally about to commit suicide. Just <laughs> one minute ago. I'm sorry, guys. You don't
1: understand. <laughs> I am so frustrated, and I really may continue to be frustrated. <laughs> I'm I'm triggered right now, to be honest with you. I'm triggered. Now I know how Karens feel. Yes.
0: We do need to thank some podcast buds we made on Reddit, Pizza, Brews, and Two Dudes, for yeah. trying to help us. Although, audacity oh, oh, is making it a little difficult.
1: It's really, yeah, not
0: giving us any leeway here. But we should probably just move on because nobody cares. Uh,
1: <laughs> 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 yeah. Um. Anyways, so... <laughs> welcome to episode eight and thank you everybody that has been listening our listeners have almost doubled yeah i mean that's not a whole lot i mean not like we're you know y'all are sending
0: shivers right up my spine with these numbers but
1: it's crazy and it's more consistent and
0: Yeah. yeah i don't get it it's it's nuts. It's very exciting. Since you guys just happen to be listening, maybe you could um, hop on whatever app you're listening to us on and just
1: give us a little review, give yeah. us a little follow. Yes, you know? please. We're on Instagram at rabbitholehappyhour, TikTok at rabbit hole happy Hour, Twitter at rabbit hole hh Pod, and then you can always email us at rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com. So uh, what are you into these days, Mallory? <sighs> What am I into? <laughs> I'm into sitting at my house and not fucking talking to anybody, not doing shit. Oh <laughs> maybe I mean, I'm feeling, I like that. I like that too. Maybe I'm feeling extra that way after tonight, but Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not your fault. It's audacity's fault. What am I? I don't know. Well, there have been a few things
0: I've been consuming lately. One is the show Euphoria. I only started watching this show because TikTok kept showing me euphoria stuff. And so I started watching it and I swear to God, I am like severely depressed
1: now. I can't get out of bed. I just want to die. Ozark made me feel that way last season. Not this current. I haven't seen the current season yet, but at the end of that season, I was like, my life has no meaning anymore. Oh, (laughs) it was so depressing. (sighs) The vibe
0: of the show is just basically like... Everyone's fucking everyone over. Everyone is just has a secret life, cheating on each other, doing drugs. Like, and they're teenagers, and it makes me so sad.
1: (laughs) Anyway, (sighs) don't
0: watch that show. But something I have liked is the TikTok account (laughs) 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 Ali. Althani seven, I think. Yeah, you want to bamba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's this guy. I think he's from guitar. I think he's royalty or something. But he's always is he really? I think so. That's what I've read. What? But he's You're blowing my mind right always now. Always like playing the song like oh <laughs> you want to <the> bamba <laughs> <laughs> ah yeah, you want to G, G with, with the, the big, big boys, boys. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. and he's doing all these dance. He kind of looks like my husband, except
1: well, <laughs> 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 I mean, kind of only in that. They have similar, like... the same hair color. <laughs> well, hair color and then, like, something about the eyes. And the nose structure. Yeah.
0: And then, also, this is not new, but I've been listening to the latest Beach House album, too.
1: Oh, I have not listened to that yet. My sister is going to be taking me to their concert <gasps> for my birthday. Nice. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> this is so exciting for everyone to hear. Um <laughs> The newest thing in my life is that this whole next week, I get to work from home every single day. (laughs) Yes, We don't normally get to work from home every day, but we're trying it out because we've implemented some other like things to help us be able to do it. So (laughs) (laughs) do you have to be on camera at all? No, that's amazing. Mm -mm. You could literally
0: be in your bed with your computer on your boobs. I have some case updates. Oh, yeah, go for it. So Susan Powell, she was episode 5, I think. Sorry if I'm wrong there, but they're still searching for her and they were searching, the search party was in the West Desert and they discovered some bones and some clothing items in a abandoned mine. And Chuck Cox, Susan Powell's father, he completely thinks that it could be Susan. So they're going to be having an anthropologist like examine the bones. Oh. Um. So I really hope it is so they can just have some closure and... You know, yeah. But that is pretty huge news. That is huge news. Didn't they say that like it was dress pants or something? Yeah, planned? I saw that it was like some kind of dress pants and they had it like cut in half to preserve the bones to get the bones out without like dumping them out. Oh. So it looked almost like there were two pairs of pants, but they really like had to cut them, I think. It's like front and back or and something. And then... Uh, so... Chuck Cox is like, it could be someone else. It could be animal bones, but right now we are confident that it's Susan
1: Powell. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I know. I well, know. I hope that they end up getting some kind of closure if it is her. The 10th anniversary has
0: just passed of the deaths of Charlie and Brayden uh, and their
1: Satan dickhead dad. Yeah, killed himself. We're not even going to say his name. God. But do you have any updates? I don't think I do. Um, I gave the latest update on one of the cases at the end of the last episode. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it again here. You got to listen to the whole episode if you want to find out or just skip (laughs) to the end. Okay, so let me tell you about the drink for today. Actually, I can't tell you too much about it because it will spoil some things in my story. But it's called, and don't... Formulate your own opinions based <laughs> on the title of this because you won't know what my story is going to be about when you think you will, okay? <laughs> so it's called <laughs> The Happy Face Drink. Nope. <laughs> it's <called laughs> it's taking effect. It's affecting me. It's called The Happy Face, period. <laughs> and not the happy face drink because it sounds like it, something you would put in a sippy cup. It tastes like it too. It actually does. It's really good. The ingredient list though is miles long. Yeah, it's,
0: you'll have to look at the TikTok. And also, we need to speak to the manager of the man
1: who created this drink
0: because yeah. another
1: pers- person we need to speak to a manager about
0: because he like made it sound like we're gonna have like a happy face in our drink, but then it didn't work. Like at the very end, he's like. Well, oops, we're going to just put red food coloring in for the eyes.
1: Yeah, so you're supposed to put cherries in the drink, and it's supposed to float because the actual recipe actually calls for a raw egg, which is disgusting, and I decided, (laughs) no, we're not doing that. Um so we foamed up some pineapple juice cuz surprisingly pineapple juice foams. It's a, a lot. foamy fruit. It is, it is I didn't know that until we started doing this podcast cuz every time we juice a pineapple it's like frothed for inches. <laughs> and so two maraschino cherry halves for the eyes and a lemon wedge for the smile. The cherry sunk to the bottom. So yeah. Didn't quite work, but it was still tasty. Mm-hmm. It kind of tasted like college hangover, bad decisions. So, anyways, I'm not telling you anything else about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, suck it and listen to my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're like in a mood today. <laughs> We're having a hard time. We're just We're having a hard to- time, but I'm also having a good time. Yeah, now that things are. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> yeah, don't. All right. On January 22nd, 1990, on a road off the Columbia Gorge in Oregon, which I was just there a few weeks ago. Oh, spooky. I wasn't there in 1990, obviously. But so on a road off of the Columbia Gorge in Oregon, it's near Portland. A deceased female was found with a rope around her neck, and her jeans were below her knees. A section of the fly area of the jeans was actually, like, cut out, missing from the pants. Detective John Ingram with Multnomah County, which is the county that Portland is in, and I guess that area, too, he was assigned to the case, and he said in an interview that he thought whoever killed her must have taken that as a souvenir. Her zipper? Uh, I think it was buttons. Oh. I'm really loving this, by the way. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Super
0: distracted. We we totally leveled up our whole.
1: We super and really, we should thank your husband because Mm -hmm. he did make this possible. We're using his work desk. (laughs) Yep, and he let us use his monitor. (laughs) Yeah, and now instead of showing Ashley my slideshow on an iPad, she's getting like a full like fucking thirty inch screen. Yeah. Slideshow here. So it's great. It's gorgeous. An HD picture of Detective John Ingram. Mm Mm-hmm. So detectives needed to accomplish identifying the victim, but she didn't have any ID on her, no, like, personal effects or anything. So a sketch was made of her face, and they put it out into the media. A week after the sketch was released, Detective Ingram was contacted by a woman who said that she believed the person in the sketch was her daughter. Oh, man. Ingram took a relative, not the mom, but another relative to the medical examiner's office who was able to identify her as Tanya Bennett, who is the daughter of the woman that called. Tanya was 23 years old, and she lived in northeast Portland with her mom. Detective Ingram interviewed her mom, and she said that she was a wonderful, loving person, but Tanya liked to party. And it was not unusual for her to meet somebody at a bar and spend... A night or two with them, even. A few days later, a phone call comes into the detective section of the sheriff's office. A female on the other side of the line said that they knew who the person was that committed the crime and that his name was John Sosnovsky. It's a hard name to say. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to have to say it a million times, but... We'll get over it. The woman identified herself as John's girlfriend, and her name was Laverne Pavlinak. Ew, dear. Yeah, this is That mustache scary
0: just tells me a story of crime. Multitudes.
1: <laughs> well, Detective Ingram ran his name through the databases and found that John Sosnovsky was on probation. He called his probation officer. The probation officer said that he had also gotten a phone call from John's girlfriend, Laverne. Laverne told the probation officer that she had overheard John telling somebody in a bar that he had met Tanya Bennett, picked her up, murdered her, and dumped her body out by the Vista House in Columbia Gorge. Laverne has
0: a look kind of like your mom used to have in the 90s.
1: Yeah, well, she's got that hair shape. And the glasses. And the glasses. Mm -hmm. This picture is by me. Oh, so, it's gorgeous. This is the Vista House in Columbia Gorge. I went there, so I went to Portland a few weeks ago. It's stunningly beautiful there. It's amazing. So the Vista House is like the small, round building. It's like on a cliff. And you can see for miles down the gorge. I didn't get to go inside the building itself. It's apparently a museum that they were like closed for renovations or something. I went with my cousin, Erin, and her husband, Nick, who actually live in Portland. And they said that, like, the last time that they were there, the wind was so bad that their dog was getting blown around oh, in the parking no. lot. Oh, <laughs> no. I just remember that story and I thought it was funny.
0: Anyway. Can I just say, my dad, he follows all of your updates on social media, and oh. he was like, is Mallory a photographer? Really? Yeah, he's like all of her pictures are just so stunning. Oh, and I was like, she's she's an artiste. Man,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I that's amazing. Oh, yeah. that's so nice. And it is a gorgeous picture. I would frame Thanks, that, Dad. And yeah, this I was proud of this picture for sure, and. and A few people like actually mentioned this picture specifically. We were at a lookout point, obviously not there because I'm not close to it, but we'll post this one on social media just so you can see my work. (laughs) 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 So anyway, so Laverne said that she had overheard John telling somebody in a bar. I know I already said this, but just a reminder, since we went on a tangent, he picked her up, murdered her and dumped her body by the Vista house. Detective Ingram and his partner drove to Laverne's house. Ingram's first impression of Laverne was that she was very cordial, very pleasant, and that she was just like a nice older lady. Detective Ingram asked her why it took her a couple of days to come forward. And she said it was because she was afraid of her boyfriend, John Subsnop. So I can't anymore. His name is John. Okay, guys, John, and that he had abused her. Laverne told the detectives that John was an alcoholic and that he would sometimes become violent during sex. She also mentioned that he had a strange habit of tying knots into rope, which mm -mm, I guess was relevant because Tanya was found with a rope around her neck. Just a side note, Laverne was 58 at the time and John was around 40 years old. So it was Get a it, significant girl. age difference. Yeah. Almost 20 years. She should have spanked him for being such a such <laughs> bad boy. I know. Well, it was funny because Detective Ingram had recalled that he thought it was really odd with the age difference and everything that she would even put up with yeah. his bullshit. I don't know how I feel about it because I know that some people in abusive relationships are like, they like can't leave or whatever. And I don't know you know, how horrible he was to her or anything, but just disclaimer. Yeah. You don't have the dynamic. It's
0: it's not as easy as it sounds to just leave an abusive partner.
1: Exactly. And, you know, she could have, it could have been really bad and she might've been seeing this as like her one avenue to get out of it. Yeah. You know, like, let me report him for this because he'll go to jail and I (laughs) will be fine again. So I don't know. I don't know. God. So Detective Ingram asked Laverne what she was doing the night of January 21st when Tanya was murdered. She said that John had asked her to take him to JB's Lounge in Wilsonville, Oregon. Laverne said that he got back home around 1.30 or 2 a.m. and immediately took a shower, which he didn't normally do, so she thought that was unusual. The next morning, she noticed a bruise on his left hip. She also said that he was complaining about his hands and wrists hurting him. And Ingram stated that he thought that she seemed to be telling the truth, so he and his partner asked her if she would consent to a search of her apartment, and she agreed. The pair of detectives started searching the apartment in hopes of finding anything that may relate, you know, back to John having known Tanya at all. When Detective Ingram searched the bedroom, he found an envelope that was addressed to John Susnovsky. And then on the back of the envelope, there were a few words written. So it said, T. Bennett, good peace. And it's spelled P-I-E-C-E. What the hell? Weird, right? <sighs> and kind of gross, if you think about it too much. <laughs> good peace. Yeah. A weenie? I don't know. Oh. Did you say weenie? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I was just thinking like piece of ass. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. It just doesn't make
0: any sense. And that's why it's kind of creepy because it's really cryptic.
1: Yeah. And plus he's like, you know, kind of wrapped up in this thing. So
0: do guys call their wieners pieces?
1: Yeah, I think they do. My piece. I think you're right. Yeah. Take a look at my piece. Gaze upon my peace. Let me get my peace out.
0: (laughs) Peace (laughs) out, bitch.
1: (laughs) So when the detectives were getting ready to leave, John actually was arriving back home at the same time. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I hope they, like, protected Laverne. Well, what they did is they just identified themselves as cops, and then they asked him if he would go back to the station with them and do an interview, and they said he was very cooperative And he agreed to go to the station and be interviewed. So in the interview, John denies, of course, that he knows anybody by the name Tanya Bennett. Ingram tells John that obviously they've been to his apartment and retrieved various things, one of them being the envelope with the name, quote, T. Bennett on it. Ingram shows John the envelope and asks if this is his handwriting. John says, quote, I cannot answer that in full honestness. Is honestness even a word? Mm -mm. I didn't think so. Ingram asks John multiple times if he has any knowledge of the death of Tanya Bennett. And every time John answers no. Who's surprised? Nobody. So having no probable cause, though, at this point to arrest John, they couldn't. And they released him. Deputy DA Jim McIntyre was assigned to the case on February 19th, 1990. Jim had a reputation for getting things done, if not being a little reckless and over the edge and kind of, I wouldn't say bully but he just got things done, <laughs> I guess. I bet he's an Aries. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> Detective Ingram briefed McIntyre on the case and gave him the information they had obtained to that point. Deputy DA McIntyre states, Later, in his interview featured in the series Catching Killers on Netflix, which is where I heard about this case, that it seemed like Detective Ingram and his partner were floundering a bit in their investigation, and they were kind of stuck and didn't really know which way to go next because they didn't really have anything solid. At this time, Detective Ingram was not totally convinced that John Sosnovsky had any involvement in the case. The only things, you know, that they really had were the envelope, which is weird, and then just a verbal account from his girlfriend stating that she overheard him say that he did it. I think that's, that's, that's enough. That's enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So sometime later, detective Ingram got another phone call from Laverne who said that she had found some items that she thought the police would like to have. Laverne hands the items over to police in a paper bag. She had like stapled it shut inside the sack was a purse inside the purse was a cutout fly section from a pair of acid watch jeans. Detective Ingram remembers thinking that it was almost too good to be true. Yeah, The detectives brought John Sosnovsky back in for an interview. John finally admits in the interview that he saw, and he said, quote, T. Bennett, he didn't say Tanya, I don't know why, He said T. Bennett at J.B.'s truck stop, and he called it a truck stop even though everywhere else it's listed as J.B.'s lounge. Whatever, it's the same thing, I guess. So he said he saw T. Bennett at J.B.'s truck stop on several occasions, and that the last time he saw her was on January 21st, 1990. He said that he was with his friend Chuck playing darts. Chuck ended up leaving, and then, quote, T. Bennett left shortly after. John said that he believed she left to go to a motel room to, quote, have fun with Chuck. Why does he know so much of T. Bennett's
0: business? I don't know. If I'm at a bar, I don't notice anyone except the people I'm with. Same. And I don't make stories for their life like they're going to a motel. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave
1: it at that. <laughs> He says that later in the evening, he asked Chuck for a ride home, and it's about to get more unbelievable, which is why his story is weird. He says that later in the evening, he asked Chuck for a ride home, and when he got in the car, he said that he believes he saw a white female adult body wrapped in a blanket in the back of the car. John (laughs) said that he got into the front passenger seat and rode home with Chuck with a dead body in the back of the car. Sir, who does that? Why would you get in a car and be like, just take me home, like ignoring the body in the back and then get out of the car? Thanks.
0: <laughs> that doesn't happen.
1: No. no you- what the hell? Deputy DA McIntyre, on the other hand, believed that nobody would confess to being in the presence of a dead body unless they were actually in the presence of a dead body. I'm still at the camp. Why would you ride in a car and just ignore the dead body in the back of the car? The next morning after the interview, Detective Ingram got notification that the results were back from the crime lab regarding the section of jeans that Laverne had handed over to the police. The jeans were not a match to Tanya Bennett's. She is just trying something on him. I know. My next line is what the hell is going on here? Laverne. <laughs> Detective Ingram confronted Laverne about the jeans and she. Did they tell
0: her about the jeans? It think.
1: was in the newspapers oh, and things, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think that that was public knowledge. That was their first mistake. Exactly. Laverne admitted that she had planted him there. <laughs> she said, I really wanted John caught, and I was trying to make it easy for the police. <laughs> Bless <It's>, your heart. <laughs> it's kind of sad, too. <laughs> she just wanted to be out of that relationship. Yeah, I guess so. Detective Ingram conducts an interview with Laverne. He says... They're going to start over. We're going to start from the top. And he asks her what happened on the night of January 21st, 1990. Laverne now gives more detail, changes her story. She says that night the phone rang and it was John calling her to tell her that he was in trouble and he needed her to pick him up at JB's lounge and fast. She said he asked her to bring something large to wrap something in. This is so weird. Yeah. (laughs) Laverne says that she took a blue shower curtain... And then when she arrived at JB's lounge, oh, your face, what? I'm just so perplexed. Who asks when they ask you to pick
0: them up from the bar to bring,
1: bring something, something large, large to wrap, to wrap,
0: wrap something with? It? And you just grab your shower and then you curtain. Just, and and
1: it, no questions asked. No questions asked. And why wouldn't you just bring a um, blanket or something? Like, why a shower curtain? I thought that was weird. Because you can rinse it off? Exactly. That's, yeah. Dude, We need
0: to be detectives. Like, what are we doing?
1: I think we're both really good (laughs) at being detectives. Or maybe these people are just really dumb. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Pretty good. Pretty good.
1: good. Don't mess with us, is what I'm trying to say. We'll catch you. We'll catch you slipping. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets a blue shower curtain, and when she arrived to JB's lounge, she said that she saw a female lying on her side that was very quiet and that when John came up to her car window, she asked if the girl was sick. He says, worse than that, she's dead. Laverne said that John placed the girl's body in the shower curtain and got into Laverne's car. Hell no. Yeah, fuck that. Don't do that, please. And she's just like, she's telling the story, and everything that she's doing, she's just going along with. I get it. If you're in an abusive relationship, maybe you feel like you have to do things for that person, but it's just so... I could never. Crazy. So Laverne asked John, what do we do now? And he just said, just drive. Laverne told John that she thought they needed to take the girl to a hospital. They need to report this. And John was like, no, I'll go to death row. You will not do it because I will kill you and harm your family and your grandchildren. Oh, my God. Laverne, so I guess that's our answer. (laughs) Laverne tells Detective Ingram that once they were in a secluded area, she pulled over. John got out and pulled the body out of the car and was gone for about 15 minutes. Detective Ingram recalls feeling sorry for Laverne because she had gotten into something way over her head. And this whole time, Detective Ingram, oh my gosh, if you watch this, it's only two episodes, but it's part of a documentary series called Catching Killers on Netflix, This man has, like, the most empathetic heart ever. And I feel so bad for him because he feels bad for other people all the time. I have a feeling
0: Laverne isn't so innocent. And poor Detective Ingram Hmm. for thinking so.
1: Interesting, yes. Interesting. I think you're more like Detective McIntyre. Well, I'm an Aries, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with everything they had been told, detectives felt now they had enough reason to believe that John had murdered Tanya, and they arrested him on charge of aggravated murder. So Deputy D.A. McIntyre suggests that they should take Laverne up into the Columbia Gorge to see if they could bolster her rendition of what happened. So they took her out to the area, and they were anxious to see whether or not she could, you know, actually show them where the body had been placed by John, because she supposedly was there. So they get to the area where Tanya was found. Laverne said nothing. They passed the area where Tanya was found. Laverne still said nothing. They keep traveling eastbound. Suddenly, Laverne says, stop the car and turn around. And she said, this gives me the creeps. Once they were about to pass again the area where Tanya was actually found, she had them stop the car she got out and pointed almost directly to where the body had been located. Oh, I have goosebumps. I hate it so close. In fact, that it was no more than like ten feet away from where she was found. She's so old. I know. She's way like she looks
0: older than she's like right here, guys. This is where it is. Right here. I feel like she is wearing dentures or something. Yeah, jaws. She has a very so- dentary mouth. Yeah. No offense to our denture
1: wearers. (laughs) You're nothing like Laverne. No, you're not. You precious babies. (laughs) (laughs) Bro. So five days after John Czenovsky was arrested, Ingram gets a page at 3 a.m. It was Laverne. A page. I know. Well, this is 1990. (laughs) So 911. I always wanted a beeper. I did too. I really wanted a beeper. And my cousin Erin had a beeper because, oh my God, she could talk to her or like page her mom if she needed anything at school. And I always begged for one and I never got one. If I had a beeper, I'd just type 80085. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Boobs. Yeah. I would always type boobless. Did you ever do that? It was like 8008. Yeah, yeah. Seven three five five. Yep, I think you, but you got to do it backwards yeah. so you can flip it yeah. upside down. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Yeah, that was basically
0: the porn of our generation. <laughs> Boobs and boobless. <laughs> then your calculator. So dumb. And your
1: TI eighty <laughs> three. So Laverne paged Detective Ingram, and she said she wanted to have a conversation with Ingram and his partner. So they meet up with her. Laverne confessed to the officers that earlier in the night on January 21st, 1990, when she arrived at JB's lounge to pick up John, she had seen John with a white female and that they had appeared to be arguing in a playful way. This is totally different from her previous testimony where she said she arrived at JB's lounge and there was a dead woman. Yeah, a dead white female. Is Laverne the jealous type? I don't know. I really can't figure her out. And just saying this after the whole, like doing this whole case, I cannot figure her out. I don't know. So she recounts that John said to the girl, get in the car, it's cold. So Laverne drives away with John and the girl in the back seat. And Laverne says that while they were driving, at some point, the girl had agreed to have sex with John. So. Nasty. Yeah. And she's his, you know, supposed to be his girlfriend. Laverne Laverne is. is, Yeah. And the other girl is like half his age, right? Yeah. She's 23. 23 or 22. And he has a nasty mustache too. He's not attractive. He's
0: like Laverne's type for sure. Somehow I doubt that she agreed to do that.
1: Well, Laverne said it. (laughs) And we all know that Laverne tells the truth. Yeah. Three times in a row. Yeah. So Laverne says that they drove to the Vista house and John and the girl got out of the car and Laverne said that she stayed in the car and that a short period of time went by and John came back to the car and went to the trunk and took out some rope. She said he told her that he was going to tie her up and that it was more of a thrill that way. He... Also, she doesn't say this explicitly, but I think that he probably asked her to get out of the car, Laverne. So she gets out of the car and walked with him to where the girl was. And Laverne says that the girl was laying in a doorway laughing. Laying in a doorway. Laying in a doorway laughing. Maybe just like at the door. I I can't can't picture Laverne walking in the dark.
0: She looks much too old to be walking in the dark
1: <laughs> she looks much too old to be doing a lot of stuff she's doing <laughs> i'm age shaming i know we are we are i'm sorry yeah, are. i'm <laughs> the youth of the nation <laughs> loved that song i know what was the name of the man p.o.d p.o.d That's so Prisoners proof of delivery on <laughs> no i know i'm just kidding <laughs>
0: because cool, it's Christian. It is Christian, but <laughs> they're,
1: like, a hardcore. Anyway, so Laverne said that John told her to take the rope. So he was telling Laverne to take the rope and put it around her neck. Okay. She says that John began having sex with the girl, and Laverne closed her eyes. She didn't want to see that. Laverne says... That John kept saying hang on, hang on, and that she must have tightened the rope when he was saying hang on. Oh my god. Ew. And Laverne's she, just like tightening the rope around her neck. Yeah, but I, I think she was like her point was that she had her eyes closed and she wasn't really paying attention and she must have I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes nothing sense. Nothing makes sense. Who does that? Yeah. I don't I don't know. What the but she also reported that John was hitting the girl in the face with his fists. And then she, oh, became, she just opened her eyes for that part. I guess she did. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Oh my God. <laughs> She's like, oh, well, let me take a peek. Oh, <laughs> well, there he is. Beating on her. So, yeah, she said that he was hitting her and then eventually she became limp. So, Detective Ingram was having a hard time believing that this lady, who, by the way, was actually a grandmother was capable of doing something like this, but he said the way she was telling it, the way that she was just spitting fact after fact, made him think, well, maybe this is sounding like it really happened this way. It's just like left and right turn, so he's like, what the fuck? Detective Ingram asks Laverne, Miss Pavlinak, let me ask you a question. Do you believe sitting here today that by pulling that rope tight, that you caused the death of Tanya Ann Bennett. Laverne responds with a very quiet, almost a whisper, yeah. Hmm. So now she's confessed to murder. What what is her end game? Uh, that's here? exactly what I was gonna say. So what are your thoughts so far? Do you believe her? Like, why is she making up so many different versions of the story? Um,
0: I think she has dementia. That's a good theory. I hadn't heard that one. That's a good theory. Maybe she's just, like, confused because she looks about that age.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am about that age because I think I have dementia, too. But Mm, I think we all have some stage.
0: Yeah. It's not funny to have dementia, by the way. No, it's Um,
1: not. (sighs) God, But it's, it's cra- like confusing, right? Like it's crazy. She's given, what, like three different versions of the story now? And now the final one, she's actually confessed to the murder. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Mallory, I don't. tell us what happened. I will. But before I do, it's time for a break. <laughs> All right, guys, we're back. Yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really are. So, Detective Ingram, now, you know, that she had essentially, not essentially, but she confessed to a murder, Mm -hmm. knew that they were going to have to arrest her. But something was still bothering him. He says in his interview in Catching Killers on Netflix, there must be a side of this woman that I'm missing very badly. I've either terribly misjudged her, you know, as being this older grandmotherly type, or at some point she had to have some evil in her, which was a shock to me. He says that he had two thoughts in his head. Was there a side of this woman that he wasn't seeing, or was it John influencing her? Detective Ingram and his partner drove out to Laverne's house and took her into custody. Ingram says that procedure requires him to place her in handcuffs, but he didn't do it. He felt comfortable around Laverne, and he felt sorry for her. Yeah, based on her mugshot that you have up here, I feel sorry for her, too. She just seriously looks looks like a grandmother that's a normal grandma. (laughs) And she's sad. And she's very sad. You can see she's been crying. I mean, nobody's happy in their mugshots, but... It's just, it's weird to see this type of person in a mugshot because it's not normal. Yeah. (laughs) So he remembers Laverne turning around as he was escorting her to the holding cell, and she looked him in the eyes and gave him a hug. Oh, God. Ingram recalls feeling like he was putting his mother or his grandmother in that holding cell. Oh, man. Like I said, Ingram has a heart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A big one. (laughs) On the other hand... Deputy DA McIntyre. What? 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 what, what, what? <laughs> bitch. Suspected Aries says that Laverne had the investigators charmed. Not only charmed, but she had control of them without anybody realizing it. So Laverne remained in jail, and in 1991, the trial was about to start. Laverne now was contending that her confession was basically a fabrication and a lie. Laverne, baby. How many times can you change your story, baby? Dementia. Maybe. (laughs) She said that she had done this all solely for the basis of getting John Zasnowski arrested and out of her life. So prior to the trial beginning, Detective Ingram went to the DA office and he told Deputy DA McIntyre that there was something still bothering him about the case. McIntyre asked him, well, what's the matter? Don't you believe they're guilty? And Ingram responds, there's something in the back of my mind that keeps telling me that we've missed something here. McIntyre reassured him that based on the facts, they were guilty. It was all there in Laverne's testimony. I mean, she confessed to it. So the trial moved along, no hiccups. During closing arguments, Laverne's attorney was trying to argue all of the reasons she would make up the confession and, you know, why she would be so desperate to get John removed from her family and life. I'm starting to put two and two together here. (laughs) And during Deputy DA McIntyre's closing argument, he didn't say anything. He simply got up, walked over to the table where he had laid out a tape recorder and let the tape play for the length of her confession. Laverne Pavlinak was convicted by the jury of felony murder. After that, John Sosnovsky entered a plea of no contest to the murder of Tanya Bennett. (sighs) Um, Are you confused? (laughs) Yeah, I am. This whole thing is just... But I have thoughts farther down the line. (laughs) Oh, okay. In April 1994... Some handwritten letters were sent to the Oregonian, which was a Portland daily newspaper, that were written by an individual claiming responsibility for Tanya Bennett's murder. I killed Miss Bennett. I cut the buttons off her jeans. I left her facing downhill and her jeans down by her ankles. A man and woman got blamed for it. She was my first, and I thought I would not do it again, but I was wrong. Phil Stanford, who is a crime reporter for the Oregonian, remembers that the print looked irregular, almost violent, random capital letters and happy faces were scattered through the letters. The letters continue on or around January 20th, 1990, I picked up and this is what it says, Sonia Bennett and took her home. I raped her and beat her real bad. Her face was all broke up, and then I ended her life by pushing my fist into her throat. Oh my, ew, what the hell?
0: Is he just kind of claiming this crime as his? He doesn't give, like, her name was Tanya, right?
1: Yeah, her name is Tanya. Maybe he, he said Sonia.
0: Yeah, maybe he's... He got confused, like, thinking that was maybe one of his victims.
1: Maybe. You'll have to wait to find out, baby. So he continues in the letters. I want to know that it was my crime, so I tied a half-inch soft white rope, cut on one end, and burned on the other around her neck. What a psycho. So there are both accuracies and inaccuracies in the letter so there was a rope involved. she had a rope around her neck but it was not burned on one end I know, and I <laughs> and the fist in the throat does not line up with the autopsy. So McIntyre states that there's no reason he should think that he had the two wrong people in prison because they implicated themselves. He thought that somebody was trying to either do something to help Mm -hmm. Laverne and John or they were just, you know, like playing a prank. But the district attorney said that the letters could be a problem and they couldn't just let it lie because Phil Stanford from the Oregonian was going to write about it. And he was sort of a sensationalist writer. He would write things to get this is according to McIntyre. He would write things to get as much readership as possible. Was he like like a tabloid type writer, yeah, like clickbait, yeah. like you know that type of thing? Is was his opinion about it? I've never read any of his stuff, obviously. But so, in addition to Tanya Bennett's murder, the letter writer claimed to have actually committed four more murders. A couple of them he described one day in California. I picked up a girl named Claudia. On the way out of L.A., my mind went wild with the thought of a sex slave. Ew. I know. And when I stopped at a rest area, Ooh. I took her.
0: her. See, I always <laughs> knew that rest areas were not safe.
1: No, I rest areas them. give me the creeps, dude.
0: The I smell. Never. The would...
1: whole vibe. Yeah. I stopped at a rest area... One time on my way up to see my sister. And I bet you were alone, Mallory. I was alone. I was oh alone. Oh God. And the only other person there was some dude. And nothing happened. But I didn't feel safe. I don't know why rest areas make me feel so unsafe. Nothing bad has ever happened to me at a rest area, but Well, they're on this side of the road in the middle of
0: nowhere, and anyone could just drive in, anyone, mm-hmm. and drive away. Yeah. And you're literally in the middle of nowhere. And they smell really
1: bad. (laughs) They smell really bad. That's true. Ugh. So (laughs) another account from the letters. A hooker became my next victim. I placed her body in the dirt and stepped on her throat. Oh, my God. This triggered something in me. It was getting easy. Real easy. And there were, you know... Two more that he confessed to in the letters. So Phil Stanford started calling different jurisdictions, and all of the detectives that he talked to in each one of the locations confirmed that there were bodies fitting the descriptions in the letters.
0: Oh, my God. This guy's just going around, like, putting his fist down people's throat and stepping on their throat? (laughs) For real? Maybe he
1: has a thing with throats. Although the throat thing in Tanya's case didn't check out, so... Well, yeah, but still maybe has a thing for throats. (laughs) So in several cases, the letter writer had information that they actually hadn't released to the public. So they were, you know, able to at least corroborate some of those Stanford started reading all the police reports in the Tanya Bennett case, and it didn't take him long to see that it was a very shaky case. Obviously, the big problem was that Laverne kept changing her stories. Detective Ingram, on the other hand, was still blown away that Laverne, you know, had pointed exactly to where Tanya had been located. So Stanford went to visit Laverne and John in prison. Laverne at that time appeared to be frail. She was in her mid-60s. Wait, mid-60s? Yeah,
0: you know, I don't think I don't think that's right. She looked like she was probably in her mid seventies in those pictures.
1: No, I was about to say. So (laughs) yeah. She does look a lot older than she actually is. Because she was fifty eight. Oh my god. When Tanya was J-Lo's like (laughs) (laughs) fifty.
0: Yeah. But that's not like a true representation. That's true.
1: (laughs) She's a good fifty-eight, but
0: I don't think she's actually 58, but she will be soon. uses her as
1: an example. (laughs) Yeah. But so I think at this point, I think mid-60s is pushing it. I think she was probably like 62 or 63. So she was definitely younger than she looked. She had a hard life. Maybe it's the glasses. I don't know. It's the denture face. It is. Yeah, it's the denture face. (laughs) Sorry. So... She had been in prison three years at that point. She told Stanford that John had been abusive. He threatened her kids, pushed her around, and she wanted to get him out of the house. She said that it just snowballed on her. Is she so? Is she saying that she just said all this to get away from him? Is that what she said? Right, saying? exactly. But if you're trying to get away from somebody, and I think her... Initial intention, if this is truly what she was doing, was to get John out of the house, is what she's saying. Why would you confess to a murder? So bizarre. Yeah. Stanford asked how she would have known where the body was left because she identified the exact place, essentially. And she said that when she pointed out the spot, that it had been almost pinpointed That's in right. the newspapers.
0: So they showed it in the newspaper exactly
1: where. So she knew, yeah. I
0: would have never looked at a newspaper and been like, oh, that's that's it.
1: Like driving down the road. Especially the quality of pictures in newspapers is garbage. That's ridiculous. I don't know. That's what her story is. But oh, we so all she's know. saying that she
0: saw it in the newspaper. and that's how She she's saw like, it in the okay. newspaper and she was able that's to. That's
1: not true. But Laverne changes her story every five minutes. So who knows what to believe at this point. Stanford said that Laverne didn't seem angry or sad, just sort of defeated. John, on the other hand, was beside himself with anger. He said that Laverne framed him, and he said that he pleaded no contest to avoid execution. Stanford was of the opinion that John and Laverne were quite innocent of that murder or any other murder. Stanford decided to write a series on the murders in the letters. He was thinking about what to call this guy, the letter writer, Because, you know, all serial killers have to have a nickname for some reason. Mm. And he thought about all the happy faces on the letters, so he dubbed him the happy face killer. Your drink. My drink. That's why it's the happy face. Stanford actually thought he really took the DA's case apart. And, you know, when they read a series, they would say, oh, we made a mistake. But Deputy D.A. McIntyre, the ray of sunshine, said that he only (laughs) glanced at the articles and he didn't read a single one of them line by line.
0: Oh, dude.
1: McIntyre claimed that John and Laverne were in prison because Laverne confessed and John pleaded no contest, which honestly, I kind of have to agree with him. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Like if they're doing that. You have to... Like, if you take it at face value, despite whatever Laverne may have been through with John, she confessed to the murder. Well, there was no other alternative at that time, you know? Exactly. But Stanford, he was convinced that the real killer was still out there. Well, he has a little insider information. Yeah, so in 1995, a man named Keith Hunter Jesperson confessed to being the happy face killer. Keith confessed to at least eight murders... And then work began to corroborate his statements in all of those cases. So police had actually recovered DNA from a stamp from one of the letters because he (laughs) licked it like an idiot. Have you never heard of wetting your finger under the tap? Just stick the stupid stamp under the sink. So they freaking compared the DNA from the stamp to his DNA. And guess what? It was a match. He looks like a stamp licker. (laughs) (laughs) On September 25th, 1995, Deputy DA McIntyre was contacted by Jesperson's lawyer saying his client had told him to tell him that he was responsible for the Tanya Bennett killing. McIntyre fired back with, I'm so tired of hearing about your client. The whole thing is ridiculous. The attorney said that he really needed to listen to what he had to say and he believed his client. So McIntyre decided to calm down and, you know, decided to listen. Um, Four people gathered in a small interview room. Defense attorney Tom Phelan, deputy defense attorney Jim McIntyre, and detective Chris Peterson from Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, as well as Keith Jesperson. Keith tells the men that he walked into a bar January 21st, 1990, and immediately a girl walked up to him and gave him a hug like she knew him. In fact, Tanya was known to give hugs to almost everybody oh my she met.
0: God. Aww.
1: And yeah, this account was like uh, consistent with what they had been told about her in the very beginning that she was like a really nice person and also just assumed everybody else was really nice as well. So Keith said that he was at the bar in the afternoon and he saw Tanya there hanging out with a couple of other guys. Keith said that he returned to his house, uh, which was nearby, and decided to go back to the bar later in the afternoon. Tanya was still there. He ended up inviting her to dinner, but he actually didn't have enough money. So he told her, well, I could go back to the house and get a $20 bill out of the dresser. (laughs) So, (laughs) How old is this guy? Oh, I don't know
0: how old he is at this he point. He looks way too old to be getting a $20 bill out of his dresser.
1: Yeah, he does. I don't know when this picture that I have up was taken. I don't know. Also, he keeps $20 bills in their dresser. <laughs> so he said he drove her back to the house, went into the house, and she started acting, according to him, like she was attracted to him. He started kissing her on the neck, but then he said something felt off. And he was unsure if it was, quote, clicking for her or not. He said that she actually complained that she wasn't excited yet. And Keith said she told him, I'm not getting there. Why don't you get it over with? I don't know if I believe that or not, but I don't know. Well, that would be insulting to his soul. Yeah, so he said that pissed him off and he ended up hitting her in the side of the face oh, and he didn't stop hitting her until she was quote laying there that's incel behavior that's total incel behavior although he said she was saying things that his wife used to say to him during sex so he's what so he had a wife apparently like an ex-wife or a wife i don't know ew I don't know. guy I don't know. is a beast So yeah, like she was saying things his wife used to say to him during sex and it brought back memories. (laughs) Of how bad he sucks. Uh, Yeah. And then he (laughs) at the end he was like, I don't think I was all there at the time. At this time, it's worth noting, by the way, that McIntyre is still not convinced. So far, no new solid information has really been revealed. Like, you know, any traceable evidence they have. Nothing that they hadn't released to the public yet that he may know. Didn't he say he put a fist down her throat? He did, but that didn't match up with the autopsy. So now this is his new story? Yep. Laverne and him. He said the fist thing in the letter, and now... he has a new story. Now. Yeah. What is with these people, man? Quit it. Maybe he just kills so many people that he's getting them all mixed up. Well, that could be true, too. <laughs> So Keith said that he thought about the fingerprints that he was leaving on the buttons of her jeans. So he removed the fabric of the jeans. The buttons were on. So that would, you know, explain the (laughs) fly area missing from the jeans. But that was public knowledge at the time. Yeah. He says he gets in the car and drives off in search of a place to dump her body. He said he drove up to the Vista house, noticed maybe three or four cars in the parking lot, and continued down the hill until he started panicking and he found a place. He said he grabbed her and dragged her down the hill. He states that Tanya had a purse with her at the time, but he took it with him after he dumped her and said he got rid of it the following morning. A purse was never found or mentioned during the investigation. You know, Tanya was found without any identification or personal items on her body at all. So Keith said that he drove down across the river and pulled over at a spot and tossed the contents of the purse out all over the area and then tossed the purse as well. He said the purse probably went 40 feet down off the bank of the river. Police took Keith to the general area where Tanya's body had been dumped to see if, you know, he could identify it. He had them stop the car. He pointed to an area, but it was not the right spot. Now police only had one thing left to search for, the purse. So they headed to the spot where he said he had dumped her personal items in the purse. The embankment was completely overgrown with blackberries. I mean, at that point, it had been like five years. Mm -hmm. A search was conducted of the area. They searched the entire day, and they did not find anything. McIntyre told the DA that they had again run into a dead end and things were really beginning to erode on Jesperson being directly tied to the murder of Tanya Bennett. A week later, McIntyre got a page from the detective. He calls the detective back and the detective says, are you sitting down? (laughs) McIntyre says, yeah, I am. What's going on? And the detective said, well, I have Tanya Bennett's Oregon ID card in my hand. Oh, my God. What? (laughs) Where was it? So the detective said that he had the scouts go back out to the same embankment that they had searched prior. And they actually cut all the blackberries, like bushes and stuff down to the earth. And they found her state ID. Oh, my God. That would have taken forever. I know. But I also was just like, why didn't they do that in the first place? Yeah. Because it had been years. Like, obviously, maybe you could just, you know, think about how long does it take (laughs) for a blackberry bush to grow? So at this point, they had no doubt that Keith Jesperson was the killer. McIntyre then actually started fighting to get Laverne and John out of jail. Though, he states that he never felt like he owed it to Laverne. <laughs> I like this guy. I kind of do too. I like both of the detectives that they portray. Yeah, in the, in the like the one guy who's like such a soft, like softy, and I feel like that one would be you. And yeah, the other, <laughs> and the other one would be me. <laughs>
0: yeah. But like, oh my God. no, but when he found out he was wrong. He is going to try and get her off, but he doesn't
1: feel bad for her
0: because she didn't do the right thing.
1: No. He said, in fact, this was the beginning of his growing anger toward her. Mm -hmm. Because every killing after Tanya Bennett may have been prevented if the investigation had never been sidetracked in 1990. Oh, my God. Just because she wanted to get her boyfriend in trouble. Yeah, because she, oh, dude, when is it worth it to find a way out of a, an abusive relationship to where you co- essentially may have caused the deaths of four other people? Like, when is it okay? <laughs> you know?
0: She must have thought it was just like a one-off, and she must have thought, I'd be better off in prison than with this guy. Yeah, but, geez, But not, man. still not.
1: It, it, i I
0: don't I mean
1: I don't know I would so, be
0: infuriated if someone would lied to me about a crime of that magnitude and um, um yeah, t- kept telling me different stories and just
1: leading you down this path I can't just, imagine how yeah the detectives felt too especially the one who's like so empathetic he mm-hmm. probably felt like so betrayed by her yeah because he really cared like he he was so. Sympathetic for her and, you know, felt like this was somebody comparable to his mom or grandma. Like, yeah, oh God. Aww. So for almost six years, Laverne Pavlinak and John Sosnovsky were in prison for a murder that they confessed to but did not commit. John and Laverne were released from prison in November 1995. Heath Jesperson was convicted on multiple counts of murder and received life in prison without parole. Detective Ingram, Mr. Softy, said that this case still haunts him to this day, and he really wishes that they could go back and do the whole thing over again. But as we all know, we can't go back and change the past. So it is what it is. And that is the story of Tanya Bennett slash Laverne slash John slash. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to title this episode, to be quite honest with oh you, because it's like a story about all of them, you know?
0: Yeah. So is Keith still alive in prison? Mm hmm.
1: He is. He's 66 years old. <gasps> oh my God, he's an Aries. Oh, he's an Aries. Oh my God, he's 6'8. He's That's huge. Horrifying. They said in the documentary that he was. Huge, like oh just god. a huge guy, six, eight. Yeah, he has
0: kids. Oh my
1: god, he has kids.
0: Yep, that's that's the thing that creeps me out when killers have kids. Like, was it the um Golden State Killer who had all those kids? Yes,
1: they never really came out and said much. Oh my god, but also BTK, BTK, that's the one I was thinking. His daughter has really spoken out.
0: Oh my god, that's horrifying. Yeah
1: apparently Mm, he's Canadian Canadian yeah Keith is Canadian Canadian
0: hence the happy faces and his letters oh my god why is that
1: so appropriate (laughs) sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) thank you for (laughs) sorry I just
0: like put my whole fist down her throat
1: sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry Canadians we love you and we We know a lot of of you
0: we don't have (laughs)
1: Well, we don't have a whole lot of listeners. We have in more in India. Canadia, but you're married to a Canadian slash other. Slash whatever. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Okay. Anyways. So, you know, that's all I got for you, baby. And. Oh, my God. You know, I love saying baby. <laughs> constantly. <laughs> I'll never stop, apparently. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: well it's past my bedtime oh my
1: god it's way past
0: my it's already tomorrow if if anyone knows the email address to audacity
1: let us know we have to be karen's to them we have some things to say i'm real pissed still (laughs) the you guys our audio was like stuttered it was bad so just don't even get into it. it who cares okay we did it we got listenable audio anyway now, so hope so. You never know. <laughs> God, thank you for listening, everybody. Guys, yes. Thank you for listening.
0: Like, subscribe, yes, follow, please. email, rate, be our
1: friends. Let us know you're out there. Like, I we see all these people. We like practically beg every episode, but we just want to know who you are.
0: Yeah, especially people in Norway. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Sweden. All these places. Yeah,
1: we had a, a listener in Ireland today.
0: Yeah. Like some crazy places I didn't even know they like could access our podcast. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like well, how did you find us? That's what I don't get either.
0: Anyway. Okay. It's time for bed.
1: Bye-bye. It's time for bed.